hallelujah. Good to see everybody. Um, by the way, my name's Scott. Uh, I didn't get to be with you last week, and so I really missed you guys, but I heard it was awesome. The Holy Spirit fell, and pastor preached a good one, and hallelujah. Good stuff. Hallelujah. Um, but it is good to be with you today, and I'm so excited that you're here today, because I've got something that's been burning inside, and I'm excited to share it with you. Um, I only hope that I can stay out of the way enough for the Holy Spirit to, to talk to your heart today. That's what I'm really hoping for. Um, but hey, it's Labor Day weekend, so it's great to see uh, all 14 of you here that aren't, you know, uh, on that last summer vacation. Uh, you know, we're trying to squeeze every ounce we can out of the summer, um, but it's good. Hopefully you've got some fun things planned tomorrow. You're planning your little barbecues or whatever you're doing tomorrow. Um, I will tell you this, a little public service announcement, just to let you know, a reminder for some of you uh, who are trying to eat healthy, I know like this, the kids go back to school last week, so for some reason it like makes everybody sort of do new things, like make resolutions or something. Um, if you're trying to eat healthy, it's not a barbecue if there is no meat, okay? <laughs> Don't be inviting me over if you just got asparagus on the grill, okay? I'm, I'm just here to help you people, so I just want you to remember that. Um, and yes, I'm fishing for an invitation to your barbecue. So anyway, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, I don't know. I'm so excited. I, I, th I think it is in a bit. Something about the kids going back to school feels like summer's coming to an end, and I get excited because I'm just I'm ready for fall. I know we just had our 30th anniversary service a couple weeks ago. Wasn't that a lot of fun? We celebrated, and there's if you look in your bulletin, there's there's all kinds of things coming up, uh, and and they're all really good. You know, in summer in church world, just kind of give you a little bit behind the scenes in church world, summertime is often kind of a time to take a little breather. You know, it's a, you pull back a little bit because everybody's traveling and doing those sorts of things, and the kids are home. So, you know, you have to take a little breather. Uh, I know it doesn't feel like it to those of you who were involved in the 30th anniversary celebration, because that sort of consumed your summer, but um, well, when fall comes around, I'm telling you what, things ramp up, things get, I get excited, because all sorts of things are coming up, and it's not just stuff. I don't want you to look at the calendar, the church calendar. It's like, oh, we're, it's just more stuff to do, or something that we're just trying to fill the calendar with. You know, we're not like a, this isn't a hobby club, Right? This is the church, right? We're the church, people. We are here to, to transform lives, amen? We're here to be changed by God to change the world. And, uh, and we're getting excited. There are all sorts of things coming up that are gonna transform lives that have the potential to impact lives. Every single thing we do here, if it doesn't have the potential to impact the life, we don't do it. You understand? We don't do it because there's plenty of stuff. You can go to a restaurant and have a good meal, but we, we do, we even our fun things. Like last night, we had an awesome time. We want to impact lives. We're, 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 living with the, we're living with the brothers and sisters of Jesus and encouraging each other, right? We're having a good time in that. Now, so we're, we're here to be changed by God, to be transformed by God, to change the world. And you, you've been hearing us say that probably a lot this year because that's the, the vision that God has given this church. And uh, you probably, if you were here, you remember back in March and April, we kind of talked about a lot of these things that are happening. A little over a year ago, a pastor and I and, and several other dreamers and prayers and Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost-filled, anointed prayer warriors got together, and we were aware that this 30th anniversary that we just celebrated was approaching. And so we got together a little over a year ago, and we sat and we asked the question, where is God taking us next? 
Where is God taking us? What, you know, God has done amazing things through you, this church, over the last 30 years. Amazing things, affected things all over this planet. Things nobody, nobody would believe you were capable of. Built churches you, nobody would believe you were capable of. Touched lives in this community, nobody would believe you were capable of. Just, you know, by our size. God has done amazing miracles. And so we asked, what is his vision? What is his vision for this church for the future? And, uh, and you know, we talked a lot about this. I'm not going to talk about this all, all morning. I just want to touch on this. You know what a vision is? A vision is, is, is a picture of where you want to be, right? A vision is a picture. That's why they call it vision. Rocket science, right? What, you, what do you want to look like? That's your vision. One writer, I heard, uh, I love it. He called vision simply this, your preferred future. What is your preferred future? What is your vision? My wife, Melissa, and I, we sat down not too long ago, uh, a while back in a, in a restaurant. We had some dinner, and we had coffee, and we're sitting there, and, and we had our, she had her iPad, and I had my notebooks, and we were just talking. We, we were there for a purpose. We were there to, to talk and, and ask ourselves, what is the vision for our family? Do you have a vision for your family? If you haven't ever sat down together and, and asked each other, what is the vision for our family? You need to do that. You know, what are, where do we want to be? What do we see ourselves? What, what, is, what do we see as God's best for our home and for our family in the future? And we wrote down a whole bunch of lists, and there was bubbles going all over the place and scribbles all over the place, and we narrowed down that list to the things that matter most to us. Well, when we did that for this church, we asked the question regarding this church. The answer really soon became very plain. It dropped in our hearts, and it, we zeroed in on it. And that answer was this. We want to be a community of people. And that's important because community means that we're not doing this alone, right? None of us are isolated in here. None of us are lone rangers in here. We can't do it in isolation. We are the body of Christ. So we want to be a community of people being changed by God. That's important because we don't want to be some religious cemetery of the frozen chosen, nothing really happening, right? We want to be changed by God. This is a place we want people arriving and getting healed, delivered, set free. Amen? We're not playing church around here. That's the kind of place we want. Set free, transformed by the power of God. Our worship team has a vision, has a vision that we, we, we run with, and that is we, we see a time when people just during the singing are going to be just falling out getting healed without anybody praying for them, right? That's the kind of church we want. We want to a church where people are coming, a place people come to be changed by God to change the world, right? Because it's not all about us, is it? It's not about us. It's actually about them outside. I heard someone say a quote one time, and it struck me, and I even wrestled with it a long time. I'm like, I don't really know, I, but you know what? It's grown on me. It's grown on me, and that quote is this, the church exists for those who are not yet here. The church exists for those who are not yet here. And that, that, I struggled with that for a while because I think in my thinking, I, was, I thought of the church as this building, as this sort of, you know, this little, you know, tight circle of tribe that you and I have got here. And I thought, well, you know, I, this building exists for us, right? And, and, and we're here for each other, and we're sharpening each other, and that's all good. But the church of Jesus Christ it's the body of Christ in the world. It exists, number one, to give glory to God, and exists, number two, to be a light to the world. Amen? The church exists for those who are not yet part of the church. That's why we're here. Amen? We want to be world changers, not pew sitters or good old day idolizers. Amen? Anybody with me? 
I, I tell you what, I'm excited because Jesus, he's just too good to keep to ourselves. He's too good to keep to yourself, amen? But here's the thing, that's really cool. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's some neat words up there, but the vision is a picture, and a picture's great. It's a cool picture. It's where we want to be. I want to be there. I want to be that. But to become what we want to be, there's something we got to do, okay? To become what we want to be, there's something we have to do. And when I say there's something we got to do, I don't just mean this sort of ethereal corporate entity known as Generations Church that lets you and me off the hook. I mean we as in you and me. There's something you and me have to do to ever get there. Every single person at G Church has been called to a mission. And do you know what that mission is? You probably all forgot about it. It's okay. That mission. In fact, you know what? I can make it really simple because it all comes down to one word. How many of you can remember one word? Can you remember one word? I know you, I, I know you can. It comes down to one word. Now, this word, when I tell you, it may not be what you expect. I may have to, I may have to do some selling this morning to convince you of it, okay? I'm prepared for that. The word is relationship. relationship. We even have this in writing. You and I are called to live and lead others in vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, with our fellow believers, and with the world outside our doors. We have a calling. Not, like I said, not this sort of corporate entity known as Generations Church. You have a calling. I have a calling. When I walk out these doors, this calling stays with me to live in relationship, vibrant relationship, and to lead others into relationship with Jesus Christ, with my fellow believers, and with the world outside our doors. Everything we do, I'm going to make this case today, everything we do truly matters. Everything that matters comes down to relationship. If you want to be a healthy, whole Christian, living in total shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, total Christian, you got to be a person who lives relationally with God, with fellow believers, and with the world who needs healing. There is a world desperate for healing. In fact, you know, we can boil everything that we do around here at the church, everything on that calendar you're going to look at, we can boil it all down into one of these three directions of relationship. We call these directions upreach, inreach, and outreach right? We're reaching out to the world. We're reaching in because we need each other. We sharpen each other. We encourage each other. We can't do this thing alone. I need you. You need me. And we sure can't do it without God. If that connection's broken, you're in big, big trouble. Amen? Amen. It's all about relationship. You can't conceive of a way to do this Christian Jesus-y life. You can't conceive of a way to do it without relationship. You can't divorce it from God. You can't do it without other believers. And if you're not engaging with the world outside our doors, if there's not somebody out there who doesn't go to church who can call you with their problems, who knows they could, that you, you could just stand with them about something, if there's nobody who doesn't go to church who at least texts you sometimes, something's wrong. If, if you're not engaging with the world outside, with the lost and the hurting and the poor, 
or even your rich neighbor who doesn't even know he's hurting or poor, but his soul is crying out for transformation. If you're not engaging with them, I hate to break it to us, but then you're living out of sync with the whole point of why you're here. It's, think about it. What's the final mission Jesus gave before going to heaven? Those are some valuable moments, right? Jesus is like, okay, I'm fixing to ascend to heaven. What am I going to say last? What is, what is the final big idea I want to leave with these people? He could have said, my people, go and read your Bibles. Know the scriptures. He could have said that. That's a good thing. We all need to read, your script, read our scriptures, right? He could have said, go and pray together. He said that at other times, right? But he didn't say that as his last thing. He could have said, go and make sure you have an accountability partner to help do life with. That would have been a good thing because we're supposed to do that. Lots of good things he could have said. What did he say? He said, go to the world. Share the good news. Get out into the world and share good news. That's the last thing he left us with. Amen? The thing is, for many of us, we're all different in here. Some of us have different strengths and weaknesses. I, I totally understand that. But for many of us here, it's not the upreach or the, even the inreach that's the problem. Some of you guys are, you and God are tight, right? You love God. God loves you. You know it. You're walking around. You're singing your song. Me and God, best friends. Jesus is a friend of mine. And, you know, you're all good. You pray. You love Jesus. You read your scriptures. Some of you are really good in reach. I, love, I got my circle. I got my circle. My bros, my sisters. Do you say that? Anyway, you know, we're tight. I love them. They encourage me. We encourage each other. I love being around the body. I love being around my circle. I love being around my friends. Most of us don't have a problem with that. Where most of us have the greatest deficiency in our Christian walk is the outreach, okay? And that's important. It's what, it's what we do for the least of these that is the truest measure of our love for Jesus. Ow! Scott, why'd you gotta say that? A generation's church who is full of people living in relationship with the world outside our doors, Oh, man, that is a community that is alive and thriving and growing and transforming everyone around us. Amen? That is, a, that is a thriving community. That's a picture of a church that has made the decision to let love lead the way. Let love lead. Because when you think about it, the ultimate operating principle behind healthy, thriving, vibrant relationships is what? Love. That's the, that's the operating principle behind good relationships. You can have unhealthy relationships, right? The operating principle behind healthy relationships is love. What does it look like if we let love lead us? If we let love become our operating principle behind all of our decisions, for every decision we make here at, at this church or in your life, all the, all the, in all the relationships that define you, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our relationships with other believers, and our relationships with the world outside our doors. What would it look like in all of our relationships if we were to live this way? What if, what if we actually lived and acted out what Paul says in Colossians when he says, above all, put on love? What if we acted that out? Above all, put on love.
I'm going to read you a really scary scripture here. This is 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I love that. I love that. But it's three words that blow my mind. God is love. Those are three words that will change your perspective on everything. I'm just telling you, if you've, if you've read that scripture a thousand times and it just sort of washes over you, read it again like you've never read that before. God is love. What? what? God is love? He is love? The Apostle John says here in verse 8, he repeats it in verse 16, God is love. These three words, they may be the most dangerous thing you read in the Bible if you start to believe it. These words will completely transform your worldview, They'll transform your understanding of theology, how you do evangelism, how you do church, how we create relationships with people, both believer and non. They'll they'll transform the way we pursue this shared vision of ours to be a community of people being changed by God to change the world. Stop. Stop and try to picture this for a moment. Let's just do a little thought exercise here. You could close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. Whatever makes you imagine things better. Imagine this for a second. Go back to a time before there was a you. Go back to where before there was even an earth. Think back to before there was a solar system, a universe, any creation at all. Even back before the void and the blackness, the, the tohu vabohu. Think back before that, when nothing existed except for God, okay? You imagining that? There's nothing except for God, the light and love of God. This is our origin. This is our source. All that exists comes from this God whose very essence is relationship. This is a being, a being who by definition has never been alone, right? He has been in community with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, since before time, three in one, living in perfect love and relationship. This is our God. He was in relationship before there was anything he created. And you were born out of this relationship. You were born out of that love. Imagine that for a second. And if that's the case, what that says to me is that everything that matters in our lives will be relational. It means the answer to every question, every question that really matters will be a relational answer. Any problem that really needs solving will be a relational problem. It means the only thing that ultimately matters is relationship. And not a single one of us can exist in any sort of healthy way divorced from our relationships that we're created for. Now, what is... What's the guiding force, we said, the essential element that leads us into relationship? Love. It's not just, love isn't just a personality quirk of God. Love is woven into the very DNA 
of the divine. Amen? It, he, he called himself love. He is love. Did you know that's why you exist, by the way? Why are you here? Because God didn't want to live in a universe without one of you to love. That's why you're here. And that, then, is true for everybody you meet. He didn't want to live in a universe without that person to love. That is the source of their value. And so to get to that place, to really get there, we have to overcome a lot of garbage that's built up over the years sometimes. Things like judgment and this natural and cultural tendency to categorize uh, everyone around us. These ideas of who is worth our time, who isn't worth our time. Now, a good question we might ask this morning is what is love? What is love? Because there's a we, we live in a fascinating uh, culture, and uh, guys, my uh, little iPad just went out, so I need to ask y'all to continue for me. We live in a, a fascinating culture uh, who has all kinds of really unique perspectives on love, okay? I, I was reading a survey of some 7th through ninth graders, I guess that's junior high, around junior high, who were asked a bunch of questions, and they were, they were asked about love, and it was kind of interesting about half of these, these kids surveyed claimed to either be currently or at some point in their life have already been in love. Right? A bunch of love experts we're raising. Right? Yeah. And there's a lot of different meanings, a lot of different answers you'll get if someone asks you what is love. Um, and some of the answers from some of these guys, it was really, uh, they were really cute. But like one said, uh, I, I know love because my head feels dizzy and my tummy feels funny, right? Is that love? Because it kind of also sounds like the flu, <laughs> right? I've been there. I've been in love, and I've had the flu, and yeah. Um, so is love just a feeling? Is our love for the world, is it based on a feeling? One of the best definitions I've heard in a long time came from a man named Bruxy Cavey. And guys, put this up there. He said this, love is not doing what feels good. It's doing what is good despite how you feel. That's pretty good. I wish I had thought of that. Another good definition is this. Next slide. Love is the choice to relate to someone as valuable. It's the choice to relate to someone as valuable. What did Jesus, think about, what did Jesus command us to do? He said to love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's an unusual command if you think love is a feeling. Can you command from someone an emotion? Can I say, okay, everybody, right now, be excited. Right? Everybody, right now, sadness. Yeah? And you might be thinking, well, yeah, I can sort of make myself sad. I just sit there and I think dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies. <laughs> Right. But that's not commanding an emotion. You know what that is? Is that too much? Sorry, is that okay? Sorry. See, we had a second service. I could do something different. But this is it. This is my only shot. So we'll edit it out. Um, you 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 can't affect your thoughts, but, but you can't change your emotions. 
right? You can't automatically control your, uh, your, your feeling about everything. Um, if love is an emotion, this command from Jesus, it doesn't make a lot of sense. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if love is an emotion, then the marriage vows make no sense. You can't promise to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part if love is a feeling, right? Because you can't promise to feel a certain way every day. C.S. Lewis went on to say, one might as well promise to never have a headache or always to feel hungry, right? Makes sense. But what you can say is no matter what, here is how I will treat you, and here is how I will value you, regardless of what happens with my emotions, regardless of whether I feel any warm fuzzies toward the person in need on the street or feel anything toward my neighbor next door, here's the choice I will make. I make the choice to value them as God values them, and I can promise to value them as priceless creatures. Next slide, look at 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now that phrase is really interesting. Christ's love compels us. He's not saying there's this emotional force that's gonna take over your body and make you do stuff. His love is gonna like move you like a robot, right? Rather, what he's talking about is this choice that I've been given. I can focus on how much love God has shown me through Christ and to see that he has died for me and for the whole world. And as he does that, I choose to love others. And this is really key. This is key because when your focus is on how much you've been loved by Christ and how valuable others around you are, especially to God, then that becomes what compels you. This, this scripture then makes sense. It compels you. The love of Christ compels my love of others. His love compels my love of others. What else does love do? What does the apostle John say in uh, 1 John 4? Next slide. In verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. So we learn that this perfect love, when we experience that love God has for us, we allow that love to compel us toward acts of love towards other people. That perfect love casts out, drives out fear. Fear of what? Fear of the other person. Because that's usually what's in the way. Fear of the other person, what they'll say, what they'll do, what they'll think of me, right? But now, see, I don't live in fear of what, you know, Jim, my neighbor, thinks of me or what he might think if I invite him to church because Christ's love for me and for Jim compels me to and makes me not want Jim to die and go to hell without ever even knowing that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with him that that relationship is possible now I'm compelled by that do you, I know you do do you care that people out there are dying and going to hell, never knowing that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with them. Does that move you? That compels us. In fact, that love will compel you not just to be unafraid 
you know, those people that God brings across your path, you know what else it'll compel you to do? To go and look for them. Yeah. When was the last time, let me ask you this, when was the last time you, um, you had to search for something? Maybe around your house. People lose stuff every day. Uh, I'm terrible at this. We, we lose things constantly. We, we lose something valuable in our house um, or kids or my mind or something. We lose something at least once a week. I, I heard about the, have you heard about this new product coming out? I, I think it's either out or it's coming out. Um, and it's like some sort of a tag. And you can put it on anything, and then you download an app and you can find it and make it beep. Yeah, I have to get like 100 of these. There's so many things I need because I lose my wallet and my keys, the keys constantly. Uh, like I said, kids, I lose uh, all kinds of stuff. Remote control, it's always under the couch or in the seat. I don't know who's putting it there, but it's always there. Um, but in a under a different seat, it's just crazy. Where I park my car, uh, I lose something every, every, every time. Um, when something important goes missing, we make a search for it, right? Uh, and, and often, you don't give up till you find it. I, I've looked for that TV remote for 30 minutes when I could have turned it on by hand. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever done that? Realize I've spent 20 minutes doing this and I could just punch this button. But I gotta find this remote now. It's, it's like the principle of the thing. Look at Luke 15. Scripture tells us that Jesus came to earth on this great search. There was something lost and he came to search. It says he came to seek and save that which was lost. It says he went from village to village preaching the good news. That sounds like a driven man, right? He had compassion on people because they were lost. He called them a sheep without a shepherd. He said, I've come that all might have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus understands something that some folks in the modern church seem to have forgotten, and that is, next slide, the missing are what matters. The missing are what matters. Look at Luke 15, 1. He says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, right off the bat, we see Jesus didn't just think good thoughts. He didn't just think nice thoughts about the uh, sinners. He didn't just stand behind this pulpit, you know, like I'm doing, and preach at people from a distance. Please stay over there. I'll tell you some things. He engaged in relational living with the people that God loved. And they even badmouthed him for it. Look at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. That'll kind of slap you in the face with a wet fish of humility, right? <laughs> the rejoicing up there, it's going on because of the sinner who repents. Not because you and I came to church today. Apparently. Although you need to come to church. Good for you. Gold star for you. Verse 8. He gives another parable. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Now notice before Jesus speaks a single word, who criticizes him? Who's criticizing his behavior? Pharisees. The religious leaders were too busy condemning people instead of reaching people. Condemning instead of reaching. I know this is not us, but it happens. They condemn instead of reach. There was an entire segment of society that was neglected. And they weren't neglected by the bad old government or by the heartless heathens. They were being neglected by the religious. God forbid. These are the people that Jesus reached out to in love. Something that's really interesting in these, these parables, every single time he talks about one of these sinners, when he's talking about these sinners, imagine, remember the area where he's at. He's in Jewish Palestine there in the year nothing. And every single one of these people were once part of the Jewish faith. We might, we might think of these sinners he's talking about as the de-churched, right? They were Jews who had left. Um, we often refer to people, you've probably heard the term, we, we refer to people who've never heard about Jesus as the unchurched. You might have heard that term, the unchurched. But these weren't really the unchurched. I call them the de-churched. These were people who had wandered away. And, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had written them off as insignificant, worthless, people who had no value. And, and both of these parables, you know, the, the one about the sheep and the one about the coin, both of these speak of these people who have left the church, but they're still incredibly loved and they're valued by the God who wants them back in community with his people. He wants them back. And notice there's this pattern to both of them. Next slide. Something goes missing, a search is conducted, and there's a celebration. Something goes missing, a search is conducted, and then we have a celebration, right? This whole chapter, including the next story, if you go on to read, we won't read it, but it's the story of the prodigal son, which comes next. It helps us to really clearly understand the character of a God who is willing to pursue you. He was willing to go after you, wasn't he? We see a picture of a God who's passionate about those who do not yet belong to him. He's passionate about those people because to God, they have incredible value. So when Jesus speaks these words, you know, he's talking to a society that's a lot like ours. He's talking about people. It, it's, it's, a, it's a community filled with people who've walked away from their faith. Do you know today, unfortunately, that's one of the fastest growing segments of our society. Folks who've walked away from the church from their faith. And how many of you know somebody, how many of you could raise your hand, you know somebody who used to attend church and they don't know? Yeah. Most of us. The, the numbers of the de-churched in the U.S., they're climbing every year. This is the harvest field, right? We, li we live in a mission field. The, and the one thing that could be the catalyst for those people to rediscovering a relationship with Jesus, it might be first having a relationship with you, okay? You might be the catalyst. A relationship with you might be the catalyst for them rediscovering a relationship with Jesus and his people. So, so why does Jesus tell these stories to us? Because Jesus is illustrating for us compassion, love, 
for people. This is love in action. In Jesus, he embodied relational love every single day of his ministry, didn't he? Relational love. That's what he was about. Next slide. What is missing is what matters. When, when you've lost your keys and you've got to go out the door, nothing else matters, right? If I'm in Kroger and I turn around and my son's not there, there's nothing else on earth that matters. It's the same to God. When he finds his, his children missing, that's what matters most to him. What is missing matters most. And something else I love in these two stories is who the heroes are. God's heroes are those who seek the missing. The heroes of the story are not the, who the audience would have expected in his day. It's not the religious leaders riding up to save the day and find the missing thing. The hero of the lost, she of the lost sheep is a shepherd. The hero of the missing coin is a woman. And Jesus is brilliant. He's always doing this. If you study his stories and things like this, he is always messing with people's minds and things like that. He, it's serious countercultural stuff. We don't, we don't really get 2,000 years later, but shepherds of the day were seen as second-class citizens. They were viewed nearly on the same level as slaves. It's like a step above slaves. Shepherds, they were often uneducated. They were viewed as unimportant, having no value. And that's the hero of his parable. Women, the hero of the other parable. Women had no rights in the day of Jesus. They were often viewed as third-class citizens, sometimes even more like property. They were even lower than shepherds in his day. And who's the hero of his parable? Shepherds women, the hero of his stories. The point is simple. To God, the heroes of his kingdom are not the people selling all the books. That's not his heroes. It's not the people standing up here doing the preaching. That's not the heroes. The shepherd and the woman were concerned about the missing. And to God, that makes them mighty. They're the hero. Guys, listen. The church, the body of Christ on this earth, we exist ultimately not for the members, but for the missing. We exist to reveal Christ to the world. The missing are people, they're souls, and they matter to the heart of God. Some of you here today, if you had your hand up earlier, you know somebody who's wandered away. How would it feel? How would that make you feel to look over and see those friends? and the, those family members sitting on the row with you? How would it feel to see someone accept Christ re, or rededicate their life to Christ? And it could happen all because you extend an invitation. Here's, here's a kind of a horrible statistic to lift your spirits right now. The, the writer, Dom, uh, Dr. Tom Rayner, he wrote this great book called The Unchurched Next Door. Everybody run out right now and go read it. The Unchurched Next Door. He says this, only 2% of church members, 2% invite an unchurched person to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. He also says 62% of the unchurched, those people out there that we're not asking, 62% are not actively looking for a church, but they're open to the idea of attending church again. 
ooh, wait, that means we can't just sit here and wait for him to get here. Our really cool sign that moves and the great billboard, no, it's not, they're not actively looking. They are waiting for an invitation. 62% are open to going to church. There are people that you know, they're just waiting for you to be, to, to be asked to join you for church. Now, what would happen? Imagine for a second. What would happen if we all prayed for people we know who don't go to church? And what would happen if we took the time tomorrow at work or at school or wherever we're going or in our neighborhood on the street it, to invite somebody? What if Monday or Tuesday you invited one of your neighbors? What would happen? Do you know what would happen? On Sunday, God's house would be full. Because some of those people are going to say yes, right? Around 62%, apparently. God's house would be full. How would it make you feel to see that? I, I, can't, I can't even tell you how excited that would make me, right? It makes me want to jump up and down right now. How would that make God feel to see that happen? Imagine that. If you, okay, if you don't get excited about it, imagine God. How excited would he be to see his house full of people you invited? God would be excited, right? We have an opportunity to, to touch the heart of Jesus. And, and you and I, we can actually impact eternity by just inviting, by just talking to people, creating relationships, creating relationships with people. The question is, are we going to let this opportunity slip by us? Are we going to remain incomplete and ineffective in our three directions of relationship? We're just going to concentrate on one or two of them, kind of leave the other one to wither and die? Or are we going to embrace our calling? Because to, have a tru to truly have a relationship with Jesus, according to him, we've got to pursue relationship with both his body and with the people out there that he loves. That's how he measures our love for him outside our doors. I'm going to bring this to a close pretty, pretty quickly. I heard this story about the Wright brothers. Uh, you, know, you know, they're the guys who invented the airplane, I guess. The, they made their first flight uh, on, of an airplane over 100 years ago. It was December 17th, 1903, 111 years ago almost. The story goes that on their fifth attempt uh, with Orville was at the controls, the plane gets off the ground, and it flies for 12 seconds. 12 seconds. The first flight of a plane. And his brother Wilbur, they said, ran to the local telegraph office and he sent the following message. We have flown for 12 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. <laughs> we have flown for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. And back home, their sister Catherine received the telegram and ran to the local newspaper editor to tell them their amazing report so that they could put it in the newspaper. And two days later, buried on the sixth page of the local paper was the following headline, Wright Brothers coming home for Christmas. <laughs> Talk about missing an opportunity, right? Church, let's not miss our opportunity. Let's seek the missing because the missing are what matters. God has given us an opportunity He's given you the potential. He's placed people already. There are already people in your circles. I, I would venture to guess you have plenty of people already in your circles who need Jesus and who need to be in community with believers. And look, you don't got to be afraid, right? Because perfect love casts out fear. And 
I believe that God moves when we act on his behalf. I've seen so many times in so many areas of life, I'll be scared to death about something. And if I'll just take that step, just close my eyes and do it, he shows up. He is so faithful. He loves you. If you'll take that step and reach out relationally to people, the Holy Spirit will show up, I guarantee, and he will help you. I've got a little sign by my desk. I make sure I look at it every morning because I need it every morning. And it reminds me that God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. I don't have to know what I'm doing. He's going to help me if I take the step. And he'll equip me. You are called to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece to the world. Now, let's look at some practical application as we leave here today. What does this mean you and I need to do? I'm going to issue you a challenge. You ready? Because this is all leading to something. See, I've got an agenda. Here it is. Next slide. On September 21st, in three weeks, we're having Back to Church Sunday here at Generations. Now, this is extra exciting because we're actually joining with churches all over our nation to do this. Churches all over the place are doing this. Uh, it's a day where we are opening our doors and welcoming in both the unchurched, the dechurched, the tired, the hurting, the people who need just to hear a message of hope, who need deliverance. I want to fill this house with people that Jesus loves. Do you want to fill this house with people Jesus loves? Wouldn't that be awesome? Here's the catch. You got to bring them. It's not going to be any great sign out front. You got to bring them. That's the catch. You got to bring them. We're going to be sharing more over this over the next few weeks until we get there on what the local church means. We're going to equip you as best we can. We're going to give you tips. We're going to share with you, you know, what, why, why church? Why are we doing church? What is the big deal? Why do people need to come to church? How we can step up and successfully fulfill our mission to live in vibrant relationships because everything that matters involves relationship. And so we're on a mission, okay, to lead people into a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, with fellow believers, and with the world outside our doors. And guess what? You know what? If you and I will embrace this high calling to live relationally, driven by love, live relationally, driven by love, if we'll embrace that in everything that we do, we're going to be successful in that, in realizing that shared vision that I was talking to you earlier. We're going to find that we are becoming, next slide, that community of people, that's outreach, being changed by God, that's upreach, to change the world. Amen? Amen. Will you agree with me this morning? And pray. Pray that, that we can fill this place with people Jesus loves. And then after we pray, will you agree to allow Jesus to flow through you and his love and invite somebody to come with you? Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, we stand amazed that you would love us that you would care for us and notice us down here, Father. We praise you that you valued us enough to come after us. We know, Father God, when we came into the kingdom, there was celebration. And we thank you, Father God, that we were saved and delivered for a reason so that we can reach out to our world, so that we can help change the world. 
And I thank you, Father. Create in us a love. Create in us a zeal, Father God, for the lost, for the hurting, for the people who need to be in community with you and your people, Father. We thank you, Father God. Create that in us. Help us to just itch until we can go tell somebody. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up now. And I thank you guys so much for listening. And um, I believe it's going to be it's going to be really good. I think we're going to have a good time next month on the 21st, okay? Mark it on your calendar. Mark it on your calendar. Start asking lots of people, okay? Let's fill up the church. Let's have to set out extra chairs because we want to tell people about Jesus. It's going to be a good service, okay? Love you guys. Y'all have the best week you've ever had. And if you need prayer for anything at all, prayer for your body, prayer for your mind, your soul, your emotions, your finances, something that has something to do with something else I can't even think of, come on up and let these people pray with you because they will pray with you in faith. Amen? Amen. All right, guys. Bye-bye.